Praise God, saints. Praise the Lord. As always, my delight to share. I have so many dear friends outside of here. And we do things from time to time. We don't always get together, but when I call, they call no matter what. And he always gets me in trouble. But this is a gifted artist who's also a policeman. <laughs> and he loves what he does. So I'm presenting to you and introducing to others Kennedy Jones.
yes it does. Don't you worry, it lies within his hands, his hands, his hands. God is yours. God is. God is. God is. Hallelujah. And all power lies. Oh yes, the power of death, the power of hell, the power of the grave. It lies in His hands. The power to keep you, the power to heal you. All power lies. The power to keep your mind stayed on Him. Hallelujah. It lies within His hand. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. All power lies. All power lies. Hallelujah. Power lies within His hand. Hallelujah. Oh boy. Oh boy. I don't know if I can take any more. How many know that all power is in his hands? To your feet as we open up our Bibles and we get into the word. How many are thankful that you don't have to worry about it because all power is in his hands? How many need to hear that this morning? That the Lord's got it under control. He's got it. You let it go and let God have his way. All power is in his hands. Thank you, Jesus, for that word and song. God bless you, my brother. And I thank God for your ministry and music and your service to our community. Let's give the Lord a praise for this young man that has come to minister today. Let us turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Feels good to preach at this church. Come on, say amen. Been over 30 days. Somebody said 30 years. Let us give consideration. However, I must say that the table has been spread for us these past few Sabbaths. And we thank God for him sending his men servants to come and share with us those very timely messages. How many could say that that was a right now word for your situation these past few Sabbaths? First Samuel, the 17th chapter, turn it down just a little bit. And I want to begin in verse number one. And I will stop when I'm finished. The Bible says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together 
And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. Anybody ever heard this story before? Whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I want you to take note of this. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. In other words, it was big. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. How many know he was well armored? Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If you read along with the preacher as he's giving the scripture lesson, you'll get more out of what he's about to say. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us and the Philistines said now watch this y'all I defy the armies of Israel this day I defy Glenville I defy you today defy your families I defy the armies of Glenville I defy you this day he said give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I want to preach today under the subject, Preparation for the Kingdom, Psychological Warfare. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, I need your help today to get in me and move through me And move to these people that they might be convicted and converted and be able to celebrate what God has said. God the Father, I need you to be in total charge of everything that goes on in this place. From now until the time that your spirit says I am finished, I pray that you will take charge of every breathing person in this room, save even the preacher. And I claim it in the name of Jesus. And all those that believe the Lord answered the prayer said amen.
and amen. I'll just touch your neighbor beside you and tell him to leave you alone. Right now. Time for the word. If there's somebody sleep in your proximity so that you can wake them up so as not to distract anybody else, you may take the next few moments to do that. If you have to go to the bathroom, don't come down this way. I don't care if you're sitting on the front row. Go that way. I don't want any distractions today. I want to begin this message by saying that this particular story in the Bible is familiar to most of us in here. Would you say amen? I'm assuming that I am not preaching a story that you've never heard before. Amen? (laughs) Okay. Anybody ever heard of David or Goliath? If you have, would you say amen? Amen. How many like the story of David and Goliath? How many, I mean, you've heard it for a long time and it has often uh, found a very anecdotal place in our lives and uh, we appreciate the story. When I was a kid, I would try to imitate David and Goliath, and I had a good time doing that. And it wasn't until I got a little older that I began to see the spiritual significance of such a story. And I wanted to share these observations with you today. I think, if I could, if I could, if I could posit to you today why I think most people like the story of David and Goliath, it, it is probably because everybody likes an underdog. Uh, we love the stories of the least likely person or the, or the small town person or, or the person that did not have all the resources and all the connections, but they somehow find their way to the top. We love those stories. And one of the reasons why we are so appreciative of Barack Obama's uh, accomplishments is not just because of a political party or because of the color of his skin, but I think everybody appreciates the idea of how a black man, come on, say Amen. Now, I know he's got a little bit of everything in him, but on his census card, he said that he's African-American. I just want to let y'all know what he said. But I think we like the idea that this, this somehow uh, um, impossible situation, and I must be honest with you, on that night, I was just as surprised, even though it looked like he was going to win. How many were still surprised when it came? you were looking for some recount or something to happen? There's something about an underdog. I, uh, I follow sports, and, and, and most of the time, uh, 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 scholars and statisticians have, have polled people, and, and normally, if, if there is a, a, lesser, a lesser skilled team against a, a better skilled team, the majority of people want to see the lesser skilled team win. And I've often tried to figure out why is it that people like the underdog? Somebody say the underdog. Well, because most of us associate ourselves with being regular, normal people. I want you to hear me today. Focus your attention here. Most of us see ourselves as ordinary. Do you agree with the preacher this morning? We don't really see ourselves as big shots. Some of y'all do, and that's why we don't like you. And that's why people talk bad about you. 
but for the most part, most people see themselves as ordinary. You don't see yourself as a privileged person or a person that is entitled. We feel like we can relate to the underdog because most of us see ourselves as underdogs. And the truth of the matter is, a whole lot of us are underdogs. Some of you beat uh, Jim Crow and civil rights and you're here today. Some of you beat welfare and poverty and you're here today. Some of you beat cancer and you are an underdog. The doctor told you you should have been dead last year, but you're still here today. Some of you beat divorce and you're still married and you're still here today. Some of you, so you just, you have your, your whole life, I would say today, my whole life has been a life of beating the odds. When people said that I couldn't, when individuals did not give me the best shot, when I thought that it couldn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, I have just, I have just managed to be able to see God perform in my life in such a way where it makes me say, how did I get here? How did I, how did I get to Cleveland? Somebody tell me, I don't know. But I believe that there is an unseen hand and it is the hand of God. And I believe that the hand of God is, is especially attracted to people who are not necessarily the, the, the most likely to succeed. I believe that God is attracted to weakness. Oh, y'all got to hear. Uh, let me say that one more time. I believe that God, hear me today. I believe God is attracted to weakness. God cannot work with pride. God cannot work up with conceit. God can't work with stuck up people who think they're better than other people. I, I don't know how many times I got to say this, but I feel I need to get this in your head. God is attracted to weakness. He's not attracted to money. He's not attracted to status. He's not attracted to how many years you've been in church. He's not attracted to what your name is or what it means or letters behind your name. The thing that impresses God is when we are weak before him. God wants a people that learn how to depend on him. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by his spirit. And how many can give testimony today that you are here today. Because you serve a God that believes in the underdog. A God that believes that in spite of, of the odds against you, you're here today. Because of that kind of God. And so it is, that's why we like David. David is the least likely candidate. And, uh, you know, this kind of, I didn't address this, but I think I should. This makes me want to support the Cleveland Cavaliers even more. Forgive me. Those uh, strict Sabbath keepers just want to take a moment to say, we are an underdog. Come on, say amen, somebody. Uh, you know, I, I'm not all with what Dan Gilbert said, but it did make me feel good to hear him say that we will win a championship before LeBron. How many know that the odds are against us? And if he's right, how many know it will be the hand of God that comes down to Cleveland itself? Goes in the Q arena and makes it happen. But, but I'm going to be honest, I'm not from Cleveland, but there's something about me getting connected. So I feel really connected to the Cavs now. Especially now that LeBron has gone, I really want to support him because I want to see them beat the odds. And I think that's why we get with David. David, the odds were against him. And in this particular passage of scripture, I love this story because it gives us principles. You might want to get your pen out on, on how to defeat the odds. How to defeat the Goliaths in your life. And I promise you today, I'm going to share it from a perspective that you may not have heard before, but I think that is relevant to where we are. If you could see the picture, you must see Samuel the prophet anointing David. 
Now, most people don't realize that by the time we get to 1 Samuel 17, David has been anointed to be the king of Israel, but God has not yet brought it to pass. God has called some of us to do things and given us assignment and spoken word over your life, but many of us have not yet come into what God has promised. I'm a living testimony of that. So David is living under the anointing of God to be the king of Israel. Now, if you know the history very carefully, you'll know that for 13 to 17 years at least, David was on the run from his life, and he had not yet become king. God told him to be king, but he was not yet king. He was running while God had the promise over his life that he would be king. Now, I just want to pause and say to you, if God told you something... If God speaks a word to you, if God gives you a promise, then you've got to learn how to trust him no matter what happens, even if it feels like you're on the run and everything that God said to you is not going to happen. You, you, we've got to get to a place where we begin to really trust what the word of God says. Well, the Lord rearranged circumstances to teach David some lessons on his way to the kingdom. One of the first things we see here is that the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon David and it left Saul. If you read uh, 1 Samuel 16, you'll see very clearly there that Saul began to lose his mind. I want you to pick up your Bibles and look at verse 14 of chapter 16. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit. Get this now. I'm going to show you why so many of you have the kind of spirit and attitude and disposition you have. Because a spirit is distressing you. Now, I believe in medication and I believe that there are, uh, I'm I'm in a doctoral program that is totally psychological right now. But at the end of the day, let's keep it real here. There are, there, the enemy of your souls wants to get in your head. Now watch this now. The Bible says, uh, continuing reading there, verse 16, it says, but, the, but, but a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So does everybody see what's going on here? The Bible says that they said, listen, Saul, because your spirit is acting up and because you got some stuff happening to you right now, uh, let me give you a little background. Uh, Saul disobeyed God. And because he disobeyed God, God told him, you are cut off. And so when, when we live a life of consistent obedience, we are putting ourselves in a place where we open ourselves up for other spirits to come in our lives. And, and Saul now is getting to a place of no return. The Bible goes on to say there in verse 17, So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, and a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and I watch this now, and the Lord is with him. 
So in order for Saul to be able to get some cognitive, get rid of the cognitive dissonance that he was experiencing, the spirits messing with his mind, the Bible says, bring in a man of God and let him play. And when he plays, the power of God that is with him will calm your troubled spirit. Now watch how God is working. God promised David that he would be king. So now God is, is allowing David to enter into the court of the king through uh, less obvious ways. And so watch now. David is in the presence of the king. And God is now exposing David to how this kingdom looks like. In other words, he's teaching David how not to be the king. He's teaching David on what you don't do when you're the king of Israel. And one of the first things David notices is he notices there's a spirit of negativity. He notices there is a troubled, unkind, wicked spirit that is amongst them. He sees politics. He sees men backstabbing one another. And notice now, the Bible says that Saul called him unto himself. Now, 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 now follow, follow the man of God. Uh, in other words, Saul said, come live with me. My, my mind is acting up so much that I don't, I don't need you to play and leave, but I want you to come and stay with me. Now, David had a choice either to stay or leave. Now, if you're planning to become a king, you look at that as an internship. I think I'm going to stay here and eventually God's going to set it up for me to be king. Who knows? I might be able to pull some strings and God might do something and put me in now. But notice David, because David was so level-headed and because he had the things of God in mind, David decided instead that he would not stay there, but that he would go on assignment and go back home. Now, the reason why David did that is because David wanted to keep perspective. Let me just point this out. Some of us, because, how can I illustrate this? I'm the pastor of this church. But I got to go home to my mama every now and then so she can remind me who I really am. Some of you are choir director so-and-so and some of you are CEO so-and-so. Some of you are attorney so-and-so. Some of you are doctor so-and-so. But it's good every now and then to go back to where you came from so you can be reminded of who you really are. David wanted to keep a perspective. David wanted to remain level-headed. And I want you to watch this now. When David went back, he didn't just go back to shuck and jive. If you read the story carefully, you'll begin to understand that when David went back and went back as the shepherd in the fields with the sheep, he was not king yet, but he had to go back and do the little detailed mundane things because God was preparing to take him where he belonged. When he would go back and, and spend time with the sheep, David would really be spending time with God. Now, this is what I'm trying to set up. When David would go back, David would get filled up so he can go and deal with the foolishness in the kingdom. One of the things I'm noticing about Christians is, is we are not very good at going to get filled up to deal with mess. Now, if David had not, had not made the commitment to stay filled, to make the commitment to go back, you need to understand that, that from Bethlehem, where David lived, to Jerusalem was four miles. From Jerusalem to Gibeah, where Saul was, was another five miles. David walked. And he didn't walk down a highway. He climbed, he trudged, he avoided, he, did, he, he labored for 10 miles early in the morning every day to get to where Saul was. And he also walked 10 miles 
labored 10 miles to go back to where he came from. In other words, David literally fought for his sanity. David, David made the commitment that his time with God was, was more than indispensable for his time with the presence of a wicked king. Now, let me just lay this out there to you. If I could, if I could just express to you today the burden of this preacher, we don't spend quality time with God. And one of the reasons why many of us are so, while we get caught up in gossip so quick, while, while we make a promise that we're not going to talk about people and we start doing it, while we have such a bad attitude, it's because we do not fight for, organize for, agenda for our lives around our times with God. Now watch this. David, Lord have mercy, had an opportunity for an internship, a live-in internship. The only equivalent to this is for Barack Obama to call Mike Nelson and say, Mike, forget about running for council, uh, uh, county councilman. Uh, come on up here and, and stay in D.C. at the White House. And, 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 and spend time with me on figuring out how to run this nation. But, but Mike says, no, 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 because, because I need to stay grounded. Uh, I know this is a big opportunity, but you have to understand, Mr. Barack Obama, I really need my time with God. I really need to go back where I came from so that I can be prepared to do what I'm here for. Are you understand what I'm saying? So, so, so David, I love this about him. The Bible says he is a man after God's own heart. David is the same one, Michelle, of the song that we just sang. The Bible says, as the deer pants for the water, so doth my soul long for you. We are not talking about a man that made excuses for not spending time in prayer. We're not talking about a man that was too tired to get up in the morning and lay on his face before God. We're talking about a man that was so humble, that so recognized his weakness, that he fought for time in the presence of God. How many know it's hard? Let's just confess right now. Now, let me tell you something. Our times with the Lord have dwindled down to information-seeking moments. Now, please, I, I wholeheartedly want you to study your Sabbath school lessons. But it's very easy to use your time with God as opportunities to find out new details, new truth, and new information. There's a difference between seeking after God and seeking for information. Hear me now. It is impossible to spend time in the presence of God and to come out and act like a fool. And I think the problem is, is that many of us, we go in our prayer closets with God and we come out and don't bring God with us. The presence of God is not based on location, but it is based on practice. Was it not Joseph that while he was being tempted by a serious sister, Potiphar's wife. His response was, well, uh, I can't do this thing and sin before my God. In other words, I don't do the things that I do, not because I'm going to get caught or because somebody is looking or because it's going to give me a bad reputation, but I recognize that I do everything before my God. 
I recognize that even now I stand in the presence of God. I've got to acknowledge that even though there's a nice big crowd here and I'm sharing a word with you, that the real audience of this house today is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when you are in information mode, it's very difficult to be in relationship with a person. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Uh, let me give you some practical tools this morning. When, well, first of all, you need to have a time with God. Somebody say a time. You've got to have a time with God. I'm telling you this because Jesus did it. Jesus got up early in the morning. Now, I ain't no way around that. If you work late at night, then I understand. If you do third shift, I got you. But let's just, at least for most of us with a normal schedule, the best time to spend with God is early in the morning. Now, there is actually scientific research and data that further supports that. Do you realize that your cognitive cerebral cortex brain is more apt to understand and receive the things of God early in the morning than it is at any other day? And scientists and researchers have proven this to be true because they recognize that God, God is basically saying that before you do anything else, I want, I want to be at the front of your life. I want to be at the front of your day. So, so wherever your day starts, you need to spend adequate time with God. The second principle I want to share with you is that you must spend quality and quantity time with God. I remember when I was in uh, Tennessee, I, I got to learn what this quantity and quality thing is. People would praise me all the time. They say, Pastor Evans, man, you're such a good father. I see you spending time with your kids all the time. I mean, I see you staying at home. I see you cooking and doing all that stuff with you. And, you know, I used to just take that stuff and buy it. I used to take it all in. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. you know, I, I guess I am a pretty good dad. You know what I'm saying? And you know what happens? The minute we start getting pride, proud, we start working as hard as we used to, right? And so my marriage starts falling apart. Because I was in the presence of my wife, but I was not with my wife. Do you know it's possible to be near somebody and not be with somebody? Uh, they would say, oh man, is he just a good father? And my kids would be around me, but they were uh, more of an annoyance to me than me enjoying my kids. There's a difference between quality and quantity. You see, quality time is based on your relationship with the person. In other words, because you love them so much, because you're so in tune with them, because you enjoy their company, you don't ignore them just because you're near them. That's why it's possible to be in church right now and God be with you, but you not be with God. Let me hustle. The second thing is quantity. I don't really believe that you can have quality without quantity. Prime example. If I told my wife, hey, babe, you know, let's... Let's get our relationship better. You know, let's have a better marriage. Um, so uh, let's, let's start having a date night. And by the way, if you're a married person, I strongly suggest to you that you have one night out of the week that you spend as a date night. I don't care if you've been married 50 years. All, your, all the old folks are going to be like, nah, well, we passed that point now. <laughs> so you only have one time. Now, let's say I've got a date night with my wife, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say we go to the restaurant. We're going to go out to eat. I sit down. Eat an appetizer and say, all right, I'm ready to go now. Like I say, hey, we went out on a date. And I've been doing that consistently for the past three months. But she said, baby, you, we really didn't spend any time together. 
You know, five minutes with the Lord is quality time for some people. Ten minutes with the Lord is quality time for other people. But then there are some of us that rush in and out of our time with God. And, and, I, and I have come to realize that if you want power over sin, if you want victory over your thoughts, if you want breakthroughs in your life, you need to learn to maximize your moments in the presence of God. I live by this principle that less is more. The less I do outside of my closet, the more I can accomplish by the power of God. Because the more time I spend with God, the more God is able to work in the stuff that I normally am used to controlling. It's one of the reasons why we're going to have an all-night prayer service. Because, because some things require tarrying before God. You just can't rush everything before God. And let me just share another reason why. You can't rush your time in the presence of God, but you can if all you want to do is tell God what you want. You know why it's real difficult for many of us to spend time with God? Because we run out of stuff to ask for. But how about shutting your mouth and learning how to tune in to what God is saying in your life. When was the last time you can say, I heard God say, do this? Not where you're confused and like trying to figure out, well, was that me? <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about in here. Even the preacher himself struggles there. Sometimes you're like, well, am I saying this or is God saying this? One of the things I found out is when you give God time to talk, he will talk. But if you rush God, then you will miss out on revelation that can handle stuff that you're too used to working for. You got to linger in his presence. You got to stay there for a little while. You cannot treat worship like a microwave, instant oatmeal. Come on and hear somebody. How many know that the best food is not microwave food? Come on in here. I, I remember, I remember trying my first time trying to make cornbread. Read on the back of that box that says if you that there were two options to make it. And I got kids running around, ducking, throwing stuff, dogs leaping all over the place. I got things to do. I said, Well, well, why not try it in the microwave? You saw, I see it on the box. If the box says do it, then let me go ahead and try and do it. Come on here, somebody. How many know that microwave uh, 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 cornbread ain't no good? Come on. It don't look like nothing on the box. It don't taste like nothing that I had before. It's nasty. Come on in here. My mama told me never say anything is nasty, but I got to be real today. It's nasty. But how many know that when you slow cook something, how many know that when you take time and work with something? See, most of us don't even realize what good food is anymore because it's all processed. It's all just take a box, mix with water, and it pops out. But how many remember the days when, when you used to have to grind up stuff, when you, had, you used to have to tarry over stuff, when, when stuff would sit all night long, and then when it was ready after it had been marinated? I'm talking about your chocolates now. You know, you, you let your chocolates sit all night, and you let them marinate. Lord have mercy. But the best food comes not quickly, but it comes through time. 
The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we come before God, we must recognize that God is a person. He is not a thing. He is not an entity. He is not an ethereal mist. He is not oblivion or an existential reality. But God is a person. And he ought to be approached like a person. You're going to learn how to talk to him and then wait on him to say something back. Now, now listen now. This will not be easy if you're used to putting a lot of garbage in your head. Can we just be practical on this Sabbath? It's not easy when you put garbage in your head. How many have ever been praying before and next thing you know, you're watching the office? Oh, let me get down your street a little bit more. Oh, yeah, oh, Madea comes in your mind. Or some secular song that you used to listen to 30 years ago comes in your mind. You talk about God, how oh, I love you and I worship you. And then next thing you know, some Marvin Gaye pops up in your head. Come on in here, somebody. Oh, wow. Oh, oh. And, and one of the things I've noticed about this is that anytime that you're trying to get near God and get still, hear me now, to get still before God requires discipline and practice. But the blessings that come through time must be yearned for. That you gotta fight for it. If, if you are only satisfied with just coming before God and doing what you've been doing for the past 20 years, then you will not get to the next level of time with God. But, but, but for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. You got to hunger for it. Somebody say hunger for it. You got to thirst for it. You got to examine your priorities. I, I've experienced, officer, I've experienced times uh, where, uh, let's, let's just say that um, early in the morning, I uh, know they have to be somewhere. Oh, work. Yeah. And um, we do a good job at getting to work. We do a good job at, 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 at getting places that, that appeal to us and that we desire. But we do a poor job at spending time with God. And the question is, if God means so much to you, Adrian, if, if Chris, you really love the Lord, then eventually you cannot continue to depend for a preacher to put everything that comes out of his mouth on the notes you take in church. God calls us to a relationship as a person. Let me end with this. This Wednesday night, I'm going to give you some tools on how to take your time with God to another level. And the truth be told, can I give you a statistic? They say that the average Christian spends less than five minutes of quality time with God in a month. Now, it's real difficult to come in here and praise the Lord. That's why people sit around and look at folks like they're crazy. Now, what you praising God for? Well, for me personally, can I just tell you, I'm, this is just a continuation of an experience that I've been having with God. And see, by the time the seventh day comes, and it says, Blessed Sabbath, me and Jesus have been enjoying such an extraordinary ride together. 
that when I get near him and I get in the presence of his people and I see how God has brought you here and I look in your faces and I know your stories of what God has done in your life and I think about the goodness of Jesus in my life and all this stuff overwhelms me because I've been with Jesus. Now let me tell you what will happen for you when you're with Jesus and I close with this. Spending time with God makes your thoughts and your mind, the seat of your decisions, stay with me, the throne room of God. Right now, eyeballs on me, many of your thoughts and your mind, the seat of your decision making, is not inhabited by God, but it's inhabited by your selfish will. Now, when God gets control of your thoughts, when God gets control of your mind, if God gets control of your decision making, then, then eventually you will get to a point that when you come before God and you pray to God, your requests do nothing more but resemble the will of God. And when your prayers and your worship resembles the will of God, then God has to answer the things that are in his will. Now, can I show you what will happen? So David is in such connection with God that he makes the commitment that he will not stay in the king's court, that he will go back on a regular basis and he will spend time with God. Most of you should know that almost all the Psalms of David were written as a shepherd when he spent time in the presence of God. He did not write, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, when he was in the, king, when he was in the palace. He did not write, I, I will not fear the terror by night nor the arrow by day when he was in the palace. He did not pen, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth when he was in the palace. You see, what happens is, is when you finally get to where you think you belong, it has a way of intoxicating you to forget that you really need God to not only stay here, but to move higher than where you are. So watch what happens. Skip now to David and Goliath. The Bible says that for 40 days and nights, watch this. I love this. David walks up on the battlefield. Watch this, y'all. Please get this. As David, now see, David is coming with the glory of God all over him. David is coming to the battlefield because he has been walking and tarrying with God. David comes, see, your your prayers don't have to sound a certain way. Your Bible study doesn't have to be so deep, but but just spend time with him. Just tell him what's on your heart. And and David has been in the valleys with the Lord. David has experienced the power of God. David has tarried before. David has learned to praise and worship God. And so now as David begins to go, David and God go together. And watch this. When he gets on the battlefield scene, the Bible says that the entire army of Israel was quaking in fear. The Bible says for 40 days and nights. Thank you, Jesus. I love this. I love this. For how long, everybody? I need everybody. For how long, everybody? Get this. Get this. Don't miss this point. Don't miss this point. Let me show you what I'm trying to set up. One of the reasons why many of us elder lose on the battlefield of life so often 
is because we have not been imbued with the necessary power and presence of God. See, your private life informs and transforms your public life. I believe that the power of God that rests upon me right now to preach his word in a life-changing way cannot come if I get up at 4 o'clock this morning and brush together a sermon and try to, it's got to come through yearning and tearing and praying with God so that the battlefield requires preparation. But notice the kind of preparation it requires. David gets to the battlefield and dudes are scared. His own brothers Eliab and the rest of them, please hear me today. These guys are expert soldiers. And as David comes up, he is mesmerized that Goliath for 40 days and nights has been able to get away with talking about God. So I can see David pulling up to the scene and just feeling like, yo, how come ain't nobody out there taking this dude out? What what y'all afraid about? Isn't this the same army that when you went around and marched around the walls of Jericho, you didn't even have to pull out your weapons, but you just began to praise God and shout and God go, where are y'all at? I can see David getting a little antsy in the spirit and say, where, 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 where my boys at? He goes to his brothers and he's trying to figure out, yo, now y'all were bragging Back at home at daddy's house. Right. Right. Y'all got to watch them folk. That's always bragging about they walk with God. Yeah, girl. I done, I done, I'm tearing and I didn't see God. And I don't take nothing from folk. I just tell them how God leads me to tell them. And watch them kind of folk. Because the minute the battle starts raging, those folk that's looking around. So I can see his brothers and they all chilling up in the room. And I don't know. They probably playing the, some kind of Israeli video game together. And, and, and his older brothers were like, man, telling stories about how they used to handle business in, in battle and how they would beat people with one hand tied behind their back. But now that battle is going on, David goes up to the scene and he sees not only his brothers, but the Bible says even Saul. Saul, who stands head and shoulders above everybody. Saul, who was a trained soldier. Saul, who was the king of Israel. Saul, the most likely candidate to step forward and deal with Goliath. The Bible says he's so scared that he says to David, here, you can take my armor. The Hebrew word for fear there literally gives the picture that their hearts, their hearts were cut in half. Now, This is a pastoral sermon today. That means that, I ain't going to look at nobody, that what the Lord has told me, he has told me to say this for this group of people under the sound of my voice. Now, if you spend quality time with God and it's revolutionizing your life, and and you know how you know, because I still don't want to look at nobody, you know how you know whether your time with God is making a difference in your life, because you, in, you get to a place where you stop doing the stuff that you've been taking God to take out of your life. All right, now that you know, I wasn't directly dealing with you. So watch this now. David is like, it's almost like when people join our church who've been out in the world and they come in here and they're like, Where the soldiers at? 
When I was in the club, I didn't even have to know people. But if a fight broke out, come on in here, somebody, and it looked like it was a legitimate situation. How many of y'all remember back in the day when you was unsafe? Folk would get your back in the world. But you come up in church, and you got this group over here, and this group over there, and this group right here, and the pastor and his crew. Listen, and so when, when like Dave, David's trying to figure out, he's saying this, this is supposed to be a people that know God, that have been with God, that have experienced God. Where's the courage? By now, David's saying to himself, I ain't waiting on nobody else. Now watch this. Why is it that they had gotten to a place where they were so fearful that trained soldiers would not fight? Forty days and forty nights, Goliath is taunting them. Forty days and forty nights, Goliath is defacing. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath is talking about their mamas. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath is talking about how he's going to kill their children. And, and not even for the sake of pride. You know, some of us, it don't got to be God. But just because you step on our pride, we at least going to do something. But they are so afraid. Somebody say afraid. They are so fearful that no, not one man will fight. And I'm reading the text, and, and I'm trying to make sense. I'm saying, God, show me. What are you saying here? Watch this. I love this. I love this thing. I get so excited. 40 days and 40 nights. The Hebrew literally says the evenings and the mornings. Goliath, get this, get this, get this, get this. Goliath intentionally interrupted the time that they were supposed to be spending with God. See, in Hebrew, even when the Hebrews, Israelites, were at war, in the mornings and the evenings, somebody say morning and evenings. In the mornings and evenings, that was the time called the Shema. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. The Shema is the word that means listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Everybody would say this in unison. And we will love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength. And that was their battle cry. But watch this now. They allowed Goliath to interrupt the time in the presence of God. And watch this now. Satan realizes that if I'm if, if the best way to break people's will, to break people's courage, to break people's marriages, to break people's desire to get over sin, to break people's sense of hope, to get people to a place where they're so stuck in the trap that they can't. He says, the first step is I got to break their worship. anointing today God it's so easy to allow what you're going through 
or what's in front of you or what's threatening you to, to, to consume your thoughts so that it robs you of, of your desire to even seek the Lord. And the very thing that's going to give you the victory, the very thing that's going to give you the breakthrough, the very thing that's going to pull you out from where you are, the very thing that will set you free is in the presence of God. But the devil wants to break your will to worship him. Hear me today. I'm not just talking about picking up your Sabbath school lesson and tearing through it and writing little notes. I'm not talking about just getting up early in the morning and whispering that same tired prayer that you've been praying for 25 years. I'm not just talking about standing up and lifting your hands when you like the music and you like the preacher and you like what's being said. I'm not ta- I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about somebody that, that recognizes where the power comes from. I'm talking about somebody that's been beat up so much by the devil and run down so much by the enemy and tempted so much by his hand that, that you know that you can't make it. You can't make it one minute without the presence of God. What goes on in here, forgive me now, don't mean nothing. If you have not learned how to wait before him, what happened? So God said, I'm ending right here. And y'all better pull me off this pulpit because I'm going to dance all over this thing. Has anybody faced an impossible situation? Come on, somebody. I need, I need somebody. Are you dealing with something right now? What I'm telling you is the secret. It's in the presence of God. It's in planned quality time with the Lord. I just got a breakthrough this week. Oh, y'all not hearing me here today. I got a breakthrough this week. But let me tell you something. The manifestation of it has not happened yet. But guess what? He told me. Yeah. 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 Many of us miss that confirmation because we have not, we have not spent time. I'm trying to find a deep way to say it, but it is what it is. We are, we are not disciplined enough. Have you ever asked yourself, how could I sit and watch hours of television? Talk about LeBron for three hours. But when my alarm clock goes off, snooze. Come on in here, somebody. Give me five more minutes. We have got to be committed to recognize that our victory is in our time with him. So watch. Here goes David. Because they've been listening to Goliath, they have no desire to fight. But because David 
had been with God. He's already got the victory. So watch this now. So I'm saying, God, because I talk to the Bible, you know, when I'm studying. I'm saying, God, you got a whole army that's demoralized. You got a king that's gone crazy. What's the solution to dealing with the Philistines? He said, I'm not going to send a warrior. I'm going to send a worshiper. Y'all not, y'all, please get this. Please get this. Please get this. Please get this. I'm learning that victory can be claimed in the closet. And I don't have to see it before I claim it. Now, I'm not just, this ain't name it and claim it. This is God spoke. I heard him. I was with him. And I had left him. He's still with me. And I know that I've already got the victory. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here today? So watch what happens now. So Goliath stands there boasting and cussing. Come on in here, y'all. Y'all know how bullies are. Everything blank this and blank that. And I can't get nobody to come out here and fight me. But David has been soaked with the presence of God. David is oozing with the glory of God. David has been in the presence of God. And David says, I don't care if nobody else will fight. I don't care if nobody else won't pray. I don't care if nobody else won't study. I don't care if nobody else won't love. He said, I believe that there is power in the presence of God. So I can see David now. The Bible says that David does what nobody else does. Look at all the guys still standing on the top of the mountain. But David says, I'm going to go on down here, Lord. Saul says, here, let me give you my stuff. I don't need it. Got to fight my own armor. So I can see David creeping down the mountain. He's not a skillful warrior, but he's doing what he watched his brothers do. Huh? And as David does not take his eyes, not off Goliath, but David has his eyes unto the hills from which cometh his help. Because his help cometh from the Lord. And I would advise you, don't focus on your problem. Don't focus on your Goliath. Don't focus on what's wrong with you. Don't focus on what the doctor said. Don't focus on what's not happening. That him and Don't focus on what you don't like and how it's not going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on him. And the, and the light of this world will grow strangely dim. You got to keep. And David is creeping now. I love this story. Y'all forgive me. He's the underdog, y'all. He, 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 he does not have the military skills to deal with this, but he has been with God. And David creeps down the mountain. I can imagine Goliath is looking at him like, now, what the blank? They going to send this little kid out here to fight me? I, I mean, he, oh, he got so insulted that he let his guard down. And when the devil sees you coming, he gets insulted. He says, after all the stuff they've done, God, your best shot is Myron. After all the stuff he's done, your best shot is Lillian. After all, you, how dare you insult me by sending a little old sinner. But I read Ellen White said somewhere, but when the weakest sinner prays, that all of hell gets afraid 
when God's children who have been in the presence of God begin to chart down to tear down his kingdom and David keeps on creeping come on David David keeps on moving come on David David is the only hope of Israel come on David David doesn't have grenades come on David David doesn't have a sword come on David David does not have a shield come on David but David has the presence of God and I see David now he's trying to figure he said now the only thing I know to do is what I've been doing homeboy creeps down and picks up a stone most scholars suggest that these stones are about the size of a fist now I see David taking the stone I will lift up my eyes to the hills. <laughs> now you got me down here now, Lord. Get me through this, Lord. I'm in the middle of the valley now by myself, Lord. I can't see nobody behind me, Lord. I thought at least that one or two would have come and got my back. But here I stand in front of Goliath and an armor bearer. What you gonna do, Jesus? And I, heard, I can hear Jesus saying to him, I want you to begin to quote what I taught you to quote a little while ago. And I believe he quoted Psalms 27. I think he wrote that right in the valley. The Lord is my light. And my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Come on, David. Though an enemy come against my flesh, they stumble and fail. Though an army came after me, they were defeated. Though war break out after me, yet I shall stand. Ah, for he, he, he says, he says, for one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that one thing, come on, David, will I seek after that I might dwell in the house of the Lord and behold his beauty and inquire. Come on, David. And I believe that when David let that loose, his nerves were so bad and he was so caught up in worshiping as he was going to warfare that the stone went in the wrong direction. But because he had been with God, see God hooks up people who don't know what they're doing but have been with God. Some of you have sat in interviews and didn't know and knew you wouldn't qualify. Didn't, didn't knew your resume would not me- measure up. Knew somebody else deserved it, but you just prayed your way through, and you happened to say the right things at the right time, and God turned it out and worked it out for your good. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you in here? God loves weakness, and I see David swinging that little rock, and that thing just goes in the air. But an angel of the Lord was sent by God. And I see him barreling through stratosphere. I see him barreling through atmosphere. And with the speed of light, the angel of the Lord grabbed that stone out of the air and aimed himself at the head of Goliath. And notice now, the Bible says that when the stone hit Goliath, that Goliath fell forward. Oh, come on in here, somebody. Now, when you got all that trajectory and got all that speed coming at you, the laws of physics and inertia say that you're supposed to fall where everybody. But see, what God was trying to show them, I see the, this is what the angel did. See, the angel took the stone and mashed it on his head and then pulled Goliath down on the ground. He wanted to show all of Israel that it's not by might and it's not by power. 
David didn't do this. The stone didn't do this. I did this. David is not the master of this. I am. David is not the soldier. I'm your God in battle. David, I want you to let everybody know that it is not because of what you have done, but it's because of the power of God. Is there anybody in here who knows what I'm talking about today? That God will step in on time. That God will work out situations in your behalf. That God will come through and he wants the glory. He wants the honor. He wants the worship. He says, I'm not sending a warrior. I'm going to send a worshiper. So you got to learn how to lift up your hands. You got to learn how to open up your mouth. You got to learn how to bless his name. You got to learn how to talk to him in the midnight hour. Spiritual laziness gets people killed. Spiritual laziness gets people killed. But spiritual hunger saves lives. Spiritual hunger gets the victory. God is calling a new generation God is calling a new generation of Christians in this last day that do not allow any and everything to keep your focus He wants people that will plan time with him. That will keep their commitments. And I have found out there are no experts in worship. Nobody has a a lockdown. Some of you right here, right now, you feel like I'm doing everything the pastor said. That kind of attitude. God bless you, my sister. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Work, work, God. Work, God. Move, God. That kind of attitude is a dead giveaway that you need to go higher with your time with God. Do you see what I'm saying today? Am I, is, this a, is this a clear word today? Clear. Clear. If you agree, I want you to stand. Okay. Okay. Okay, Father. Now. Now. And forgive me. I'm tired of apologizing. 
to a group of people, four people who get emotional when they think about the goodness of Jesus. I don't got to apologize to you no more. I know what he's done for me. You don't have to praise him like I praise him. But you better praise him. At the end of the day, no matter how you worship, no matter what music you like or don't like, the issue is not what goes on in here. It's going to happen tomorrow morning. Are you going to go to sleep tonight with the TV running? Are you going to go to sleep tonight on your knees? Are you going to start your day tomorrow with the newspaper and CNN and ESPN? Are you going to get up and put your hands in the air and say, thank you, God. Show me, God. Lead me, God. Now, I want to call a new generation. Now, what I mean by that is, it doesn't, this ain't got nothing to do with age. But this is a group of people who are making up their minds today that I will no longer let stuff, let Goliath take my focus off my God. That's it. If you want that kind of passion and hunger and commitment to the presence of God, I want you to move and come down and join your pastor. I want you to join me. I just, I'm a young man. I know that. I ain't been around for a long time. But in the short time I've been around, I found out that God does stuff in the quiet moments with him. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Now, this is the appeal today. We're going to take the next five to seven minutes and lift our voices and worship him. Oh, come, let us adore him. I believe that the victory comes in our worship. I believe it's not when we do stuff. I think it's when we become. I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to just sing unto the Lord right now. Oh, come, let us. Everybody bless his name. Oh, come, let us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come, let us. Now, I want you to sing it to the Lord right now. Sing it to him. Come, let us up. Don't worry about how you sound. Lift him up, y'all. Oh, come, let us up.
is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Come on.